Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the King Jordan Radio Program for Thursday, April 5, Season 6, Episode 9. Tonight on the program, we'll discuss the YouTube shooter from uh, yesterday, the uh, Donald Trump Stormy Daniels saga with the lawyers, the Bill Cosby trial with uh, jury selection getting underway this week. Okay, so... uh, Let's uh, introduce our guest for the evening. First of all, he's making his debut uh, on the King Jordan radio show. Uh, He is an NBC analyst and attorney. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to have Danny Savellas join us here tonight. Danny, how are you? Uh, Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and uh, of course you were uh, with CNN. I believe you were on Howard Stern a couple times. Is that, is that uh, yes, I've done, yes, I've done all of those. I was at CNN for about four years, and uh, uh, from time to time I've done the uh, wrap-up show on the Stern channels. And uh, <laughs> recently went over to, um, to NBC uh, about a year ago, almost a year ago. Okay, let me also bring in, he is a regular to the show. He's a Bronx, New York attorney, seen on the Nancy Grace show millions of times. Legal analyst, my friend, Sanchez joins us also tonight. Good evening, Alex. How are you? Hi, Jordan. How's it going? It's a pleasure to be on the show. Danny, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, and, yeah, it's uh, been a long time. And I've been watching you on... Uh, MSNBC, I think you're doing an outstanding job, by the way. Oh, um, thank I you very, anal- very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, your analysis is it's superb, so keep up the good work. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Totally agree with that. Let's start off with the Bill Cosby trial. It's underway. Uh, here's everything you need to know in terms of Mr. Jury Bill selection Cosby. starts today ahead of a new trial for Bill Cosby. The comedian will again be facing sexual assault charges arising from a 2004 encounter 
in his suburban Philadelphia home. Last year, a jury couldn't decide whether to convict or acquit the 80-year-old on these same allegations, and that resulted in a mistrial. From member station WHYY, Laura Benshoff reports that with a new jury, new defense attorneys, and a new era of accountability for sexual assault, this trial will not just be a rerun of the first. Cosby faces three counts of aggravated indecent assault for allegedly drugging and molesting Andrea Constand more than a decade ago. Constand, a former basketball player with a skyscraping curly hairdo, testified that Cosby gave her three pills that he indicated were herbal, but were something else. She says that something else made her feel frozen and pass out during his advances. Bobby Dugan was a juror during the first trial. He says the lack of explicit consent during the encounter convinced him Cosby was guilty. In my opinion, consent is a verbal agreement. If there is no verbal agreement, then there is no consent. Defense attorneys argued Cosby and Constand had a romantic relationship. Dugan says he wanted to convict, but ultimately the jury couldn't reach a unanimous decision. This time, a new jury is going to hear new witnesses. A judge recently ruled to allow testimony from up to five women, in addition to Constand, who say Cosby also drugged and sexually assaulted them. Veteran defense attorney Thomas Bergstrom, who's not affiliated with the case, says that's a gift for the prosecution and a challenge for the defense. I think you have to change your strategy a little bit when there's only one witness versus whether there's five If there's one, I think you can still argue effectively that it's consensual. But the more you get, the less consensual it is. Cosby is not on trial for these other women's accusations, but they're allowed to testify in this case to help a jury decide whether Cosby knew what he was doing. Cosby's new lead defense attorney, Tom Mesereau, who previously defended Michael Jackson against child molestation charges, is bringing in new evidence, too. In court documents, the defense has asked to call a witness they say shows Constand planned to fabricate a claim of sexual assault in order to get a big payout. Perhaps the biggest difference between the trial last June and the one next week isn't anything inside the courtroom. It's the explosion of allegations of sexual harassment and assault against high-profile men, known as the Me Too movement. Lily Bernard is an actress and artist and one of the more than 50 women who have accused Cosby of assault. I think that the Me Too movement is serving to educate people as to why victims remain silent for so long when they see that these big celebrities have been silent for decades. She'll be holding silent vigils outside the courthouse every night, one of several actions planned to draw attention to survivors of sexual assault during the trial. And what about the man himself? During pre-trial hearings last month, Cosby shuffled past reporters on the arm of his assistant, visibly aged since his TV days. But he still has that signature laugh. Ready for trial, Mr. Cosby? (laughs) He seemed unfazed by the legal acrobatics taking place around him to determine whether he's a sexual predator or an old philanderer. For NPR News, I'm Laura Benshoff in Philadelphia. Okay, Danny, let me start with you. Now, uh, in the last uh, five months or so since his uh, mistrial there, there has been that active Me Too moment, uh, movement that uh, they mentioned in the clip. Uh, do you think that will be a uh, hard jury find for uh, Tom Mesereau and uh, 
your overall uh, take on I, this uh, trial coming up? Yeah, I think overall this is going to be a very different trial, not necessarily because of any Me Too movement, but for one very simple reason, and it's that the judge has now allowed, instead of one uh, additional um, prior bad acts witness, uh, there's going to be five. And I think that's just nothing short of devastating. And frankly, I'm a little confused because uh, I would think it would be the law of the case. In other words, that's an issue that was already resolved with mistrial. I don't know what facts have possibly changed between the first trial and the second trial that the judge said, hmm, well, I didn't let you have these additional witnesses to testify as to Bill Cosby's bad character before, but since the mistrial, I've changed my mind. It, it, it seems very odd to me, but for whatever reason, the judge has allowed five witnesses to come in and say, Bill Cosby did something substantially similar to me. And this kind of evidence, I've dealt with it. I've defended against it. It's nothing short of devastating. Uh, I guess I'm a jaded defense attorney, but to me, it mm. sort of it, it, it defies the basic premise or the basic rule we have against character evidence if we have this exception uh, where you say, well, if it's similar enough, we'll let it come in. Because the rule is character evidence shouldn't be admissible to show that somebody committed a crime. In other words, you can't say that someone did bad things on another occasion, and that's why they did bad things on this occasion that they're on trial for. And yet that's exactly what this evidence is. It, there will be five women who come in and say, well, he drugged me. And what's going to happen is jurors are going to start thinking, well, hey, he did it before. Sure, he did it this time. And that's why, uh, me too aside, because frankly, I mean, during jury selection, they should have weeded out all the people who would not be able to be uh, unbiased because of the Me Too movement. Uh, the Me Too, Me Too movement won't be even a fraction of as significant in this case as the fact that five women are going to come in, point at the defendant, and say he did the same thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. And Alex, let me go to you. There, uh, uh, there was one person who testified uh, besides the main accuser, Andrea Constant. Um, now there's an additional four more. But uh, – you only the the only question is is there reasonable doubt that Mr. Cosby uh, did not do this? Uh, what's your take on the additional women coming to say yes, he did it to me too? Is it fair or unfair for Mr. Cosby to get a fair trial? You know, listening to the witnesses and casually you know evaluating the case. I have no doubt that Cosby's guilty. That being said, I still think it's outrageous that this case is being forced to trial because of, of the information that we have previously discussed. Cosby made an agreement right. with the prosecutor, the former prosecutor. Do not, he will agree to a civil settlement, and they promised him he's not going to be prosecuted. So what on earth are we doing on trial? This is a phenomenal waste of time. If Cosby's convicted, convicted this case has to be reversed on appeal. Because you cannot make an agreement with a prosecutor who represents the state of New York and then for the prosecutor to turn around at a later date and say, oh, no, all bets are off. We're going to convict you, even though you made statements pursuant to that agreement. That having been said, we are here. Obviously, what Danny said is absolutely right. You're going to trial on a case where there's four additional witnesses. That could be devastating. 
the defense I would imagine that is going to be proposed by his attorney is that these people all have big dollar signs. They're all jumping on the bandwagon because they see that if there's a conviction of Cosby, they're going to make some big bucks. And that's going to – I would not surprise me that's going to be one of the primary defenses in this case. But there's no escaping it. Additional witnesses hurt the case of the defense and advance the case of the prosecution, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, Danny, let me get your response to what Alex is saying in terms of uh, prosecutorial misconduct in a way. Uh, these files weren't supposed to be charged from the last prosecutor. It's like a uh, revenge thing, politics things. What's your take on that issue? I have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, this is actually a courthouse where I've, uh, I've practiced uh, fairly often and I've had cases. And uh, the the prosecution's position on this, well, the, the problem is you don't know who to believe because the former prosecutor who was involved with this supposed deal said instead that, hey, we, this wasn't a deal. I didn't say that we wouldn't prosecute him if he would settle. What we were saying is we don't think we have much of an, uh, a case, uh, but uh, you should probably settle for a dollar amount with the, uh, with the complainant. Now, that seems ridiculous. That's a ridiculous position to take. I mean, the bottom line is, is if they did have an agreement, they should honor the agreement. But the, mere, the, the reason they prosecuted Cosby was a very political, uh, a very political decision. I mean, it, it, it came after a snippet of a uh, deposition transcript leak where he uh, admitted to having used quaaludes in the past with, with women, with just women in general. And based on that alone – the uh, the prosecution decided, oh, now we have a case, uh, and it, you know it's really it's really a, a, a strange thing because that original snippet of the deposition was uh, was part of a, a motion that was filed in court that people just discovered, even though the deposition transcript itself was uh, was kept private. That snippet of the motion gave the prosecution the thread to revive this case, but if they never believed that Constan alone was enough of a, com- a complainant to bring the case, then they should still believe that. And that leads me to think, and I, as I've often felt, that this case may be more about uh, politics, face-saving, and bringing down a celebrity than it is about, about justice. Even if Bill Cosby did do what he's alleged to have done, which is, it is obviously there are reasonable jurors who have concluded that he, he did. But, uh, yeah, Again. from the beginning, this case has been very, very political. Dan, do you happen to know the judge that uh, that ruled that 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 Cosby can be prosecuted despite that so-called alleged agreement with the former prosecutor? Well, do you know him? the judge that ruled that he couldn't be prosecuted, or no, that that he, that he could be that the, the prior so-called agreement was right. not valid. Do you know that judge? It, it, it would have been O'Neill. It would have been the trial judge. Right. You know him? Did you ever practice before him? I've, I'm sure I have. I don't remember specifically anything about him, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I know who he is, and I think I've been in his court. Yeah, I mean, maybe a tough question. I was just wondering what your evaluation of the judge was based upon your personal knowledge. Is this guy subject to you know being, you know, politically being subject to the political whims and climate that's taking place, or do you think he's just making an honest, straightforward? evaluation of the case 
The, well, the part that I don't get is I, I would hope that he wouldn't consider something political or something like Me Too in making a decision such as allowing five women to testify where he previously allowed exactly one woman to testify. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what motivated that choice. So I, I don't know. I don't know much about him. From what I've, what I've seen when I've been in his courtroom, he seems fair and, uh, and, uh, and reasonable. But, uh, but there's a lot about this case that has always concerned me because I think it's an example of if the prosecution wants a conviction bad enough, they can get one, whether or not they're entitled to one. And that's what makes cases like this very scary. And anytime you, anytime you file a case just before the expiration of the statute of limitations, you're getting really close to some extra stale evidence. And I think that's the, that's the problem in this case. I think, I think a couple of years ago, everyone, all these jurisdictions looked around and said, is there anywhere where we can prosecute Bill Cosby? Because in almost every other jurisdiction, the statute had run. And they found in Pennsylvania, they were weeks. And I mean, within weeks of the statute running, and they uh, filed these cases, these, uh, this case against them. Yeah, but you know something, even though the prosecution may want to get a conviction here, they could not, they got help, as you, as you indicated, from the judge. And in two key factors, they got help with allowing additional women to testify. And as you accurately stated, how, how is it the judge ruled previously that these women could not testify, and now he's ruling they could? What factors changed? Did Nothing. There, was there There's some big major legal yeah, was there a big some major case from the Court of Appeals of Pennsylvania that said this could be done? And why did he allow, the pro- again, the prior agreement, why did he declare that invalid? When you add these two factors together, one becomes very suspicious. Again, I think Cosby is guilty, but I'm offended by the fact that they're prosecuting him what appears to be a politically motivated case, and the judge seems in bed with the prosecutors here, and I don't like that. Yeah, I, I actually agree with your. I agree with a lot of what you say there. That's the thing that's bothered me from the outset is that Bill Cosby may and very well is likely uh, guilty just based on the conduct that you read about. I mean, if I were to make a, a call, but if they were, but there are often cases that uh, just because it's going to sound strange to say this, that, that even if the defendant is guilty, the uh, conduct of the prosecution is uh, sometimes worse uh, than the uh, than the, well, it, it sometimes is just as uh, uh, criticizable, I guess I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And the jury, uh, let's see if they how uh, they get it this time. Should make for an interesting trial coming up uh, uh, the next few days. So uh, the next thing let's talk about is the YouTube shooter. Um, and uh, you wouldn't have guessed that the YouTube sh- shooter uh, is an animal activist. Uh, she was, at least. Uh, she only killed two people, they said. That's two too many. Again, uh, she did have a license, according to this. Uh, she was mad about the terms of the use of uh, YouTube. Um, they weren't paying enough, uh, I guess. She went to the headquarters. And she uh, killed a couple of people there. And uh, this one kind of shocked me, Danny. Uh, what about you when you heard about this story? Well, I, actually, the thing that jumped out at me um, the, the most, I hate to say it, how often do you see the word gun woman? I mean, it just underscores the fact that, uh, yes. that females are so rarely um, uh, mass shooters, in, in just for whatever reason. I mean, um, 
it's it, the thing that jumped out at me is you, whenever you see a, a mass shooter as a female, and I have no, ma- I can't remember the, if there ever being one before. It makes it really interesting to me what were the motivations that that led her to do this, and uh, and what seems strange to me is a lot of it was in protest to something that uh, that that most people might not find consequential. I mean, um, the the demonetizing of uh, uh, policies of YouTube or. Or just generally, you know, most people use YouTube as uh, as entertainment. But I also understand a lot of people use YouTube uh, as a uh, as a career, and people make money on YouTube. People make millions of dollars on YouTube. So if you're monetizing YouTube and it's a it's a business, and YouTube's taking money out away from you for, by demonetizing your your product, I can understand the frustration. But uh, but I think that's what sort of jumped out at me is I, it got me thinking about how. You know, I listen to YouTube uh, a lot. There's lots of lectures. You can listen to all kinds right. of things on YouTube. But uh, but for people who make it a career, uh, maybe this would be worthy of uh, of being upset about. Obviously, not uh, not committing a mass shooting. But um, but I think that was something that jumped out at me. Yeah, Alex, uh, weigh in on this. Uh, what was your takeaway from this uh, YouTube uh, my, killing? My, my, my takeaway is. It's really nothing particularly mysterious about this. Yeah, it occurred at YouTube, and it was a woman, but basically boils down to a, a very disturbed person who had anger yes. control problems, who had other mental health issues, and also had access to weapons. Legally, she was allowed to buy those weapons. So what's the big mystery? You're a person with a serious disorder. You have access to ammunition and guns that could kill people. You you cannot control your emotions. Put those two together and that that's a lethal combination. Whether it's at YouTube or whether it's in the streets of New York City or Philadelphia or somewhere, this happens every day. This is no big mystery. This happens to have occurred at YouTube, but if it occurred at, you know, some supermarket somewhere in, in Idaho, nobody would hear about it. We're only hear about it because it's at YouTube. Right, and because it happens to be a woman, but what women can't women can't suffer from mental disorders like men? Of course they can. So I'm not. I mean, I um, I, I was alarmed by the story. I'm not really surprised. No, but it does bring about the. Uh, it makes me think about the poor uh, children in that high school in Florida with the shooting. With the gun access, I mean, uh, what's your take on the gun access, Danny, uh, uh, with the NRA? Um, you know, that kid was able to get the uh, that big gun. Uh, it would seem pretty easy from all accounts. Uh, there were accounts that, he, uh, that people knew that he was up to no good. Same thing with her. I heard some, some things like... Uh, but uh, with this right. gun situation, what's your take on it? Well, when anytime we start talking about uh, gun control, you have to you have to consider that um, that there's always going to be a tension between the Second Amendment and uh, people's right to own firearms, and then obviously our concern that mental illness is something that should override uh, access to firearms. But the reality is is that it, we can legislate. Uh, we have to accept one thing. We can legislate as much as we want. We can, 
we can add as many restrictions as we like, and no matter what, somehow uh, a, a mentally ill person will eventually be able to access a handgun. We can reduce the, the likelihood, and that's about all we can hope for is to reduce the likelihood. Uh, I think it's interesting because, you know, these, these school shootings are horrible events. They get us talking about um, they get us talking about uh, uh, about um, uh, AR-15s, and they get us talking about uh, what we call assault yes. rifles. And uh, and it's strange because I think Alex would would agree with me. The vast majority of cases I've handled, uh, and the vast majority of, of deaths in the United States, uh, are caused by handguns. And we talk about well, you don't need a you know an, a, a giant drum or a bump stock or anything like that, and that's probably true. We can legislate those away. We can make them disappear. Uh, we could probably get rid of if we even got rid of air. If we could get rid of AR-15s, I'm not a gun owner, so I, I'm I'm probably a um, yeah I'm biased this way. I mean, I would uh, I my friend Dino Bedala recently on a show said that. He would just like a giant magnet to, in the sky to, to take away everyone's guns. And, I, you know, I, in a way, I, I sort of wish they would all vanish. But that's neither here nor there. Yes, the idea too. is that, is that uh, it, it's interesting that we focus on the, uh, these assault rifles and, um, and, uh, and, and people's access to them. And you asked about the NRA. And I get how you can be frustrated at the NRA. But... At its core, the NRA is about responsible, lawful gun ownership. So I don't know that it's fair to uh, – completely fair to demonize the NRA. There are things they may do that, that may be something you can criticize. But at the same time, I don't – I think blaming the NRA for a school shooting in, in Parkland, Florida is, is really not a – there's no real nexus between what the NRA advocates. I think they advocate for, for responsible gun ownership. And uh, but I mean, if we can, the the more legislation we can do, uh, enact to keep guns out of the hands of of the mentally ill, let's do it. But we also need to be real that, number one, it will never fully prevent any kind of shooting. And number two, we have a we have a real problem. I mean, the real danger in the United States is young people shooting young people in cities. And that's happening every single day. And it's happening a lot. So. Uh, I, I wonder when we're going to focus on that or, or shine a spotlight on that as much. And, and, but yet we seem to wait for these mass shootings and then have a dialogue about, you know, mentally ill and, and, uh, and assault rifles. But uh, I mean, I get it. They're horrific events, but uh, we have a real hand. We have a handgun problem. We have a mentally ill problem. We have an assault rifle problem in the state. The way in on the uh, gun issue. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, take this YouTube shooter. You know, she went in there with a gun, shot a couple of people. Of course, this is horrific. It's horrible. But let's say for argument's sake that she didn't have access to a gun and, you know, she couldn't buy a gun legally. So she'll get a truck and she'll, you know, park two blocks away from YouTube headquarters and, you know, smash into the front gate when 15 people are walking out. And if that's not good enough, she'll go and make a Molotov cocktail. I mean, when you're dealing with a person with serious psychiatric or mental health issues, I mean, their subject, it's, it's, their problem is not going to go away simply because they don't have access to a gun. It's not like you don't have access to a gun and that's going to resolve the problem. They'll just find another way to commit their, their horrific actions. That being said, I think it's not unreasonable for people to say, wait a minute, we have to, we have, to have 
some restrictions on some of these more advanced type of weaponry. I'm okay. I can understand, you know, the NRA, they believe law abiding citizens. They want to have a right to possess a gun for their protection. That's one thing. But the AR-15s, I, I really don't understand that. What possible need there is for that type of a gun, unless you think there's going to be, you know, a war is about to break out and you need to have these guns at your home. That's not likely in this country anytime soon. So I, I think it's not unreasonable for people to say, listen, some of these uh, guns, like the AR-15s, they should be restricted and we should try to pull them out of society. Otherwise, um, you know, somebody's going to get hold of them, and instead of shooting two people dead with a handgun, they're going to shoot 22 people dead because they now have an AR-15. But, again, it boils down to sick, disturbed personalities We'll find a weapon to kill, whether it's a gun or it's something else. I agree with you, no question about that. Let's hope uh, things stay calm in terms of uh, gun shootings. Uh, don't want to hear that for now. Stormy Daniels suing the uh, Trump lawyer. Here's some sound on that. We'll talk. The Washington Post is now reporting that Stormy Daniels is suing President Trump, longtime personal lawyer Michael Cohen for defamation, alleging that Cohen defamed Stormy Daniels by insinuating she lied about this affair with the president. Uh, obviously, Cohen is the attorney who says he paid the $130,000 out of his own pocket as part of this, this hush money agreement right now. So this defamation lawsuit is new for Michael Avenetti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. What happens here? Well, I think this is another attempt to get Michael Cohen and perhaps Donald Trump under oath in a deposition. I mean, that's really what the larger goal is here for Michael Avenetti, which is to try to figure out what, you know, get these people under oath and force them either to tell the truth or, he would assert, lie about whether Michael Cohen actually used mm -hmm. his own money to pay this judgment, which, this, this damage award, which no lawyer and I am right. aware of has ever done. But um, and and whether Donald Trump knew about it. I mean, th those are, I think, the key political issues here. And filing this lawsuit gives Avenetti another opportunity, perhaps, to get Cohn and perhaps Trump under oath. By the way, CNN has now matched this reporting, not just the Washington Post. Does a suit like this have any likelihood of success? And when I say success, I suppose it doesn't matter ultimately if a judge rules defamed or not. By success, I mean, does it get to a courtroom? Does Cohen or the president have to tell? I mean, it, 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 I mean, you know, I, I would have to look at precisely what he's charging. You know, what what Stormy Daniels is charging was false and defamatory. You know, parse the words carefully. That's what's uh, that's what's involved in defamation cases. But you know, it is possible that she will at least get um, get to discovery out of it rather than... And, and uh, that may be everything Avenetti wants. Exactly. Let me ask you, Robert Mueller was brought up last night in the 60 Minutes piece, the notion that maybe ultimately this whole thing could land on Robert Mueller's lap. At first it seems far-fetched, but then we know um, that Sam Nunberg, right, the one-time advisor to President Trump, says that during his question he was asked about Michael Cohen and relationships and alleged payments. Well, remember, Michael Cohen negotiated with um, Russian interests in 2015 to uh, get a Trump Tower built in Moscow. That is certainly within the purview of the Mueller investigation. There is no question, because that relates to the motive, possibly, 
for Trump's uh, collusion, if it took place, with Russia. You know, the fact that he had business relationships there. And Michael Cohen, as he has told me in an interview, did engage in negotiations about that. So that's certainly within Mueller's purview. Once Cohen is talking to him, how broad the questioning is, hard for me to know. All right, Jeffrey Tubin, thank you so much. I do want to read a quote as we go here from this new lawsuit, this defamation lawsuit filed by Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avenetti. It reads... It was reasonably understood that Mr. Cohen meant to convey that Miss Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, is a liar, someone who should not be trusted. Avenetti wrote in the complaint, as we said, he added that Mr. Cohen made the statement knowing it was false or had serious doubts about the truth of the statement. So a new legal avenue opened in this odyssey. Okay, Alex Sanchez, let me start with you first. Where do you see this uh, lawsuit winding up? And uh, give me your thoughts on the whole thing. No. First of all, let me say, regarding Trump, you know, my thoughts are pretty straightforward. I do not like Trump. And it's not so much because of his policies. You know, there's some policies I think, you know, have some merit, some policies I disagree with. I don't like Trump personally. I think the guy's a demagogue. I think there's something very questionable about his mental health. So I'm not crazy about Trump. That having, that having been said, I think this entire lawsuit is, a, is an egregious abuse of the justice system by his lawyers, this guy Cohn, not, not Cohn, excuse me, this guy Avenatti, and Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels made an agreement. She was going to be quiet. Somebody came to her, I can go to Stormy Daniels, and I could say, I want you to be quiet. Don't reveal some information about Trump. Here's, here's $1,000. She signed the agreement. And she agreed to it. Right. That's all there is to it. Now she's coming with this nonsense, you know, that, you know, uh, all she, through Avenatti, that, you know, all she wants is the right to speak as if we're talking about some new civil rights issue on the same level as, as, as something Martin Luther King would be advocating. I mean, give me a break. The only reason why she wants to speak is because she sees big dollar signs again. She got 150000 now she's saying, hey, I can get $150 million, which I think is an exaggeration. I don't think she's going to make super big money out of this. But she's thinking, and the lawyer's thinking, there's big money there, so let's try to have this agreement vacated, and let's argue that she just wants to go and speak the truth. You know, that's, that's, that, that's an abuse of the system. And, I, and, you know, as an attorney and as a citizen, I, I'm very much, you know, I, I take great, you know, umbrage at somebody abusing the system, and I consider this to be an abuse. Now, why Cohen went and stuck his neck out and started calling her a liar, I don't know, because there's no way Cohen would know whether or not she's lying or not lying, right? But Cohen went, and he's just an attorney, and he starts calling her a liar. What the heck is he doing that for? He's just putting himself in the crosshairs, and now she's going to sue him, saying, wait a minute, you're calling me a liar? I'm not a liar. I'm going to prove I'm not a liar. This may actually force Trump to testify. So Cohen has caused more wow. damage for Trump by talking than by being silent. Okay, uh, Danny, let me get your take on this uh, this saga here with Trump. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting uh, – a lot of what – Alex had a lot of really good points there. And there really is one thing that uh, Stormy Daniels can't get away from, and it's that she did sign an agreement uh, in which she accepted $130,000. Now, I think the reason that everybody uh, finds this lawsuit interesting now 
is for the collateral effects. I mean, the, this is really two major uh, pathways this lawsuit is traveling on. One is the relatively minor uh, story of whether or not Stormy Daniels is going to be able to speak. That's what the lawsuit's about. But what everybody else is sitting around waiting for is to see if this case ever makes it into discovery. And if it does, does Donald Trump have to sit down for a deposition? And if he does, will Donald Trump, will somebody ask Donald Trump uh, a question that he will get himself in trouble with? Because you'll recall that uh, giving uh, fuzzy answers in depositions is the exact thing that almost brought down another president. And that was a president who I think would have been a little more savvy when it came to depositions. Uh, uh, Donald Trump, in a deposition, as we've seen, uh, if he dissembles, if he tries to fudge, uh, that's, that becomes a potential perjury case. So people who are watching this case, on the one hand, you have a contract case uh, that is that while the plaintiff has raised some interesting uh, contract issues, she's going to have to get past the fact that she did sign an agreement where she accepted $130,000 to remain silent. If she can overcome that, I think what else everybody is, is watching with bated breath is what happens when you get the president into discovery. And uh, that is a very interesting thing. And, of course, the other compelling drama here is how Michael Cohen, for whatever reason, has set himself up time and time again every, with every passing day to be the fall guy. I mean, there's I mean, for a number of reasons. The, the contract he entered into raises some some ethical issues. He's uh, taking the position that he paid the settlement out of his own, uh, his own personal funds. I mean, attorneys across the country, and I'm sure Alex is thinking the same thing. Uh, we don't pay settlement amounts on behalf of clients. That's just not what lawyers do. Uh, we don't enter into settlement agreements without consulting with the client. So these are things that I think Michael Cohen is setting himself up to take a fall and probably willingly because he has that level of loyalty to Donald Trump. So I think that's why this is such a, a compelling case. And, and really the ultimate contract case between Stormy Daniels and essential consultants is just a minor uh, storyline in this overall uh, drama. You know, I'm not, a, you know, Tanny, I'm not a hundred percent certain that this is a real ethical issue with Cohen making that agreement with Stormy Daniels. Because, any, like I said, anybody could go up to Stormy Daniels. I can go up to Stormy Daniels and say, listen, I don't want you to talk about some story about you having sex with some famous person. Here's $150,000. There's no problem there. The only person that can make some allegation that there's an ethical violation might be Trump, maybe. And I don't think Trump is going to be making an allegation that he's the victim of some ethical violation. Right, well, you know, by right. uh, by Mr. Cohen. The thing I like, what I what I wanted to, to your opinion on, Danny, is do you think this guy Avenatti? You agree with me that he's playing fast and loose with the criminal, with the uh, with the justice system? That he's playing there's some type of games here that cross the border from appropriate to inappropriate. Yeah, I well, he, here's what he's banking on is the fact that. Trump is no ordinary litigant, and Cohen is not an ordinary litigant. That, and by that I mean that they have a lot more to lose. They, they, he, Avenatti knows that if he drags them into discovery, he wins. He wins even though there's a good chance that he, he against a normal mortal uh, citizen, 
uh, he would lose uh, because they would be forced into arbitration per the contract. But if he can at least get to discovery and drag Trump into discovery and drag Cohen into discovery, then uh, then they may potentially bring down the presidency. So I have wondered, maybe not so much uh, wondered about whether or not he's gaming the uh, justice system, but more wondered what Avenatti's ultimate motivation is. I can't figure it out. I mean, maybe it's monetary profit, but uh, but uh, whatever it is, it's it, it, I can't tell if it's to bring down the president. I can't tell if it's to uh, if it's to um, you know to I mean the case itself is for declaratory judgment. He might win a defamation case against Cohen. So I don't really know what his what, motives are. And whatever uh, whatever and, his motive is. I think we can agree it's not to advance the cause of the First Amendment so that Stormy Daniels can speak. That, that cannot possibly be the, the true motive, which he's been advocating. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not sure. They, they still – they remain a mystery to me, and I've uh, seen a lot of his interviews. And uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's as simple as you know, some glory, uh, some, some free advertising. I don't know. I really – I have no idea. But, uh, but maybe that will become apparent in the coming months. Yeah, and uh, what is Stormy Daniels' motives? A lot of people, you know, uh, I hear say, you know, and in most cases they disagree with whatever Trump is saying. A lot of people it is, but in this situation, I hear Danny that Stormy Daniels is, you know, shouldn't have just she should have just left it. Uh, she said the sex was consensual. And uh, what do you think uh, her motive is to talk about that? Is it to get some fame, you know, because she's in that uh, Playboy world, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah she I She hasn't think been so. that I relevant think... in 10 years. Right. I think her motive is to... Yeah, what is your take? Yeah, my take is her, her motive is a little different. I think it's much clearer. I think if she has the freedom to tell her story, she can shop it around and... And uh, and become a very relevant person in a Trump in an era of a Trump presidency. So she could shop that story around. She can. I mean, she's touring right now at strip clubs. And she says, I believe she said in her 60 Minutes interview that she can command three times the fees that she used to command. So I think her, her motivation is pretty clearly uh, financial. So I, I don't think there's I don't think she uh, there's anything secretive about her motives. Avenatti's a little uh, a little more curious. I don't really know what his his motive is, but uh, no, Stormy Daniels is, <laughs> is pretty clearly ha- sees this as an asset that she can um, that she can profit from, and she wants she you know wisely wants to uh, once realizes just I think Alex said it best. She realizes she can she she has she can get a better deal now, and she wants out of her original deal. And I understand that sentiment. It's just whether or not legally she can do that. No question about it. Okay, in Missouri prosecution uh, saying that they will seek the death penalty for one of their four suspects accused in the brutal slaying of a transgender teen in Missouri. Now, uh, Danny, let me start with you. Do you think the prosecutor can get what he's looking for in a death penalty for one of the four suspects in this uh, transgender teen, uh, this Brutal stabbing murder uh, in Mississippi. Your, your, the question is what? That can they can they get the death? Can they go for the death penalty? Can they go for it? And do you think they will yeah. uh, succeed? 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think once you get a death penalty jury, I mean, a lot of people complain, defense attorneys mostly, that a death penalty qualified jury is a, a jury that leans towards the uh, the death penalty. And uh, and when you have uh, these uh, this kind of aggravating uh, circumstance um, of a uh, of a transgender person, then I I, I think that that in a way in, a, in modern times makes it even uh, uh, makes it even easier for a prosecution to get uh, to get a death penalty. Um, but you know that's the the. You know, Going for the death penalty has its risks, too. So it's something that the prosecution has to really consider before they do. Oh, no question about it. And, Alex, let me get your take. Is this uh, warranted uh, to get a uh, death penalty sentence for one of the uh, accused? Well, it's to, from my understanding of the case, I mean, they uh, tortured this person. They gouged the person's yes. eyes out, stabbed them. I mean, you know. There are crimes, and there are crimes. This doesn't sound like somebody, you know, just in a fight, you know, stabbing somebody. This sounds like some horrifically planned action against somebody just for the purposes of being mean and the purposes of extracting pain and the purposes of of murdering somebody. So I think that it's likely that the prosecution will seek the death penalty. Now, whether or not they they will ultimately achieve it, remains to be seen, but they can always settle for life imprisonment without parole, right? But I think that there's one little card in the defense pocket here that you can be certain the defense attorney is going to, it's probably one of their few cards, but it's a card and they're going to play it. I don't agree with this, but Missouri, Mm -hmm. being a conservative place, probably going to try to pick as many, those very conservative jurors that support the death penalty that would say, hey, you commit a crime like this, you have to die. Those very same people are going to have very, in their mind, again, I don't support this, I don't agree with it, but in their mind, they're going to, they're going to start asking right. questions about this transgender. It was a transgender person that was murdered. And in their mind, the defense attorney is probably going to aggravate that thinking. And in their mind, this is somehow sick or disturbing, or this is a perversion of the human, you know, the, the human person or the, the sexual person. And, and th- th- there's something very sick and disturbed about, about what happened, and they brought this on themselves. Again, I would never do this. I don't advocate it. I don't think like that. But in Missouri, the very conservative people that you're picking to get the death penalty may be the very conservative people that are going to save the necks of those four people. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a uh, proof of thought, and uh, we'll see how that one works out. Um, what do you need to call it uh, to get it as a hate crime, Danny Savellas? How do you? How does it, I don't. How does it yeah, go? I don't know what Missouri's. I don't know what Missouri's uh, crime is, but it, but you know, hate crimes are an interesting thing because they are. Uh, you're essentially criminalizing someone's motive, which is not something we normally criminalize. So they, mm-hmm. they often are an aggravating – they're really more of an aggravator. They will um, – there will be a sentencing enhancement in some states. I don't know how Missouri does it, but a hate crime at its core is the idea that you are motivated by your hatred of a particular uh, group or um, – 
uh, in this case, a transgender person. Uh, and those laws reflect society's view that when a crime is motivated by that, uh, that they are somehow worse and should be punished more. Um, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting development in a criminal law because uh, the idea of a hate crime is that it, it, it seems difficult to prove because it seems to me that if you, you know, attack someone and beat them uh, just because you're a violent person, uh, I don't, I don't know how that's that much different from doing it because somebody's transgender or the other problem is a problem of proof. How do you prove? that it was because the, the person was transgender and not just because these people were, were sick. So it, it, hate crimes are a controversial thing because of the difficulty of proof and the, the sort of idea that we've, we're criminalizing a motive, which we do in some other limited circumstances. But, it's, um, but th- that's what hate crimes are. It's the idea that uh, you're committing a crime based, motivated by your hatred of a particular group. And society deems that as, as more harmful than ordinary crimes, and that's why you'll often see a, a sentencing enhancement or sometimes even an additional crime, depending on the jurisdiction. Okay, let's go to the story. Uh, the uh, Affluenza teen released. Here is the uh, sound. Tonight, that we'll he became known as the Affluenza teen for the defense he attempted to use after a fatal DUI crash, that he was too wealthy to know any better. Now, 20 years old, he walked out of jail today. ABC's Matt Gutman reports. The kid, whose trial team infamously argued, was too rich to know right from wrong, riding off in that Tesla. Ethan Couch, now 21, mobbed by cameras as he came out of a probation office this morning. He'd served two years for violating his parole by running off to Mexico with his mother. Two years earlier, he'd been convicted on four counts of intoxication manslaughter. Oh, Lord, oh, yes, there's another child in the ditch. Oh, my God. Killing four in this chain reaction crash. He was convicted but given only probation, not a single day in prison, partly because his defense argued the then 16-year-old was too spoiled to understand the consequences of his actions. Couch was a boy then. Now he's a changed man, says his jail chaplain. I think he has made clear to me that he needed time behind bars just to really get him to the place of ownership. Tom, his attorneys tell us that Couch feels true remorse. Now, he's released, but not exactly free. He'll be under GPS monitoring, have a curfew, and won't be allowed to drink until 2026. Tom. Matt, thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube. Okay, Alex, let me start with you. Uh, what do you make of this case and the release, and early release and, uh, of this kid, this young man? I think the... Uh... I think the judge who sentenced him to probation made a, a very terrible mistake because yes. he ended up hurting Couch. It would have been in Couch's interest for him to be sentenced to a year or two years or something like that because, you know, you, first of all, you're sending a message to the defendant himself. You know, just because you're privileged, what does that mean? You're exonerated from committing crimes? But you're also sending a message to the general public that, listen, when you engage in such behavior, you're going to be held accountable and you're going to go to jail. Those are important messages. And people, the general public, has to feel satisfied on a certain level that their interests are being addressed. 
And when somebody drives a car or whatever he did and, and people end up dead, the general public wants to feel that this person is paying something. And the fact that he gave him probation, you know, that, that really didn't help Couch because look at all the misery and the attention that he's getting now and that he got before. Had he gotten two or three years in jail, would have been in jail 18 months, 20 months, nobody would have heard of Ethan Couch again. They only heard of him because he was sentenced to probation. Ultimately, he was hurt. Right. His attorney, if he yes. was a clever attorney, if he was a smart attorney, he'd have said to the judge on the side at the bench, you know, judge, I think you should give him, give him some time in jail. You know, now you may say, wait a minute, you're supposed to ask for no time if you're representing the defendant, but it was really in his interest to be sent away for some short period of time and then disappear into infinity. But that's not what happened here. No, it didn't. Danny, what's your takeaway on this? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, what's your takeaway on this story? Yeah, one one thing that um, that this case was uh, very controversial and there were a lot of – there was one major misunderstanding is that this was often called the affluenza defense. It wasn't a defense yes. at all. It was uh, it was a uh, a sentencing argument <laughs> where they now this is a defendant who had the the financial wherewithal or his family did to hire an expert who would come in at sentencing as a as a mitigation uh, to testify that he had this 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 affluenza problem, which sounds pretty tough to believe. But it was never a defense. It was a sentencing issue and. And I think Alex would agree that at sentencing, you should be able to put up just about anything the judge is willing to listen to. Now, that being said, um, I think Alex made a really good point. I mean, the, the, uh, if he had been sentenced to actual uh, custodial time, prison time, uh, or the equivalent, because I can't remember. I'm not sure if he was a juvenile then. Uh, I, I, I think he was an adult. I can't remember right now. But either way, if he had been sentenced to custodial time, then, uh, then even if it was a small period of time, everyone would have said, oh, well, he got something. Uh, instead, it's because he was out that he was able to flee, able to be videotaped at parties. Uh, if I remember right, he was like diving onto a, a ping pong table or somebody he was in a, at a party that he was at, a beer drinking party. So, uh, so it was, uh, you know, he... It, I hadn't thought of it this way before, but he would have been very be he would have benefited greatly from some time in prison because uh, no one would have uh, we'd never even if we had even if uh, he had used that affluenza defense or that affluenza sentencing argument if he'd done some time I don't think anybody would have seen it as the injustice that they see it as now so that might have benefited him in a strange way. Absolutely, no question. Great conversation here. Uh, let's go to uh, a couple of calls we have holding. Uh, I believe, I don't know where she's calling from. Is on the line. And uh, good evening, Mary. Are you there? Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, hello, to everybody. Um, and welcome, Danny. It's the first time that that you've been on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Um, hi, Alex. Hey, Mary. How's it going? Okay. Um, well, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, with Cosby being, uh, going, uh, being retried after, uh, being found, uh, for a retrial, 
What do you think is going to be different that's going to make a difference with a new jury? Of course, anytime you have a new jury, you can get a different verdict. But are they going to present something that is really compellingly different that's going to get a guilty um, this time around? I mean, I'll I'll say quickly, and then I'll let Alex go. But it, I've I've said it before. It's the five witnesses that are now going to be in this trial that weren't in the first trial that are going to testify that uh, Bill Cosby did similar things to them. That kind of evidence is is devastating, and it, it, I say that with some frustration because I've fought unsuccessfully in the past to keep those out of my own cases, and uh, mm-hmm. it's really frustrating to have your client on trial. Defending not only against the government and uh, a complaining witness, but also against some some allegations that were that are that they don't need to prove that someone can just come in and testify about and uh, and leave the jury thinking, oh, this my client's just a generally bad guy. So I think the fact that they've allowed five witnesses to testify as to prior bad acts is, is devastating. And I think it greatly increases the chances that Cosby will be convicted this time. Okay. Thanks. And Alex. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, Danny's absolutely right. That five witnesses could be the determining factor, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that the prosecution has learned something new. Maybe they've uncovered some other transcripts somewhere. Maybe they've uncovered some other written or recorded statement by Cosby, or they have another witness that Cosby spoke to and admitted, yeah, you know, I, 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 I know how to take care of these women. I just drug them up and I take care of them. And who knows? Maybe they're going to call that person as a witness. So it's possible there can be other evidence independent of the five witnesses that could greatly enhance the case that he's, that he's on trial for right now. Um, but certainly the five witnesses, that's going to change everything. But if there's any other evidence, that's just icing on the cake, as they say. Uh-huh. And um, on yeah. the, um, the – I, I just have one comment on the influenza, um, which I know you said it's not a defense. I think I am a mom of two boys, and uh, I see all these, you know – needless crimes committed by young people and the drinking and all that. I just think that we in the justice system need to be, we need to hold our youth a little bit more accountable than we do because, because we just kind of slap them on the, the wrist and then let them out. And then the mother takes them to Mexico. She should be in jail for five years. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, you all have a good evening. And thanks, from Mary. thanks, Mary. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Well, thanks for checking in, Mary. Appreciate it. Let's go out to the West Coast, California, and let's bring on Sarah to the show. She says hello on a Thursday night. Good evening, Sarah. How are you? Well, I'm fine. How are you? And Absolutely Danny, welcome good. to the show. And Alex, Thank nice you. to hear you again and again. Nice, uh... Hi. Um, I really <laughs> like your take on... Um, the affluenza case, Alex. Um, it, it's a very, very good. Um, well, it's just a, such good thoughts on it, and um, you're right. I think that it was an injustice to this young man for not doing any prison time at all. And then the train wreck of him being 
out and getting caught on video and then his mother trying to protect him and then look at how everything turned out for her. Um, so sometimes I think parents just need, as Mary was saying, not only the courts, but I think parents also have to say, you did this, you have to accept the consequences. I mean, easier said than done, of course, of course. Um, regarding Bill Cosby, um, yes, I also agreed uh, from earlier on in the conversation that this never should have been brought to trial because of that agreement that he had, but I guess we have to move on and turn the page because it's here. And um, I was disappointed that it was a hung jury last time. Um, I just kind of wanted this to be over with. And um, I think that five witnesses is very, very hard for the defense to handle. But then again, uh, Mr. Tom Mesereau will be cross-examining them, and I would surely like to be in that courtroom to hear that. <laughs> um, I really would. And, um, uh, and yeah, he, and Cosby probably did all those awful things. Um, but, you know, it was just, I, I don't know. I just still think that some of them maybe were criminal acts, but I think many others were not criminal acts. And I think there is a fine line um, between those things. And, um, well, we'll see what this jury has to say. As far as Stormy Daniels, okay, I can't even stand saying her name. I am so bored with the whole thing. I watched the 60 Minutes interview, and she just had – her whole demeanor and attitude um, was – I don't want to say the word disturbing. It, it really wasn't disturbing. It was off-putting. Um, she had this gleeful delight look on her face. The whole time that she was talking to Anderson Cooper, you would think that anyone in her position would be a little more, I don't know. Well, first of all, if I had an affair with anybody, I certainly wouldn't be blasting it all over the place, okay? No matter how many years right. later it was. I just, what are, <laughs> and even the Playboy, the Playboy bunny who's saying, oh, you know, he liked me and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so what are you bragging about? What Money is the issue, that you follow the money. That's all there is to it. These women want money. I don't care what you think about him as a president. Even if he wasn't the president and he was still his old persona, Donald Trump, in his big tower, it, it just bothers me that you know we're supposed to have equality for men and women. And when women wimp out because they've had an affair – and they think that they need to be on the train of, I need to get something because I had an affair. It just bothers me. That's all I have to say about that. And the, the transgender case. Okay, Alex, you, you really hit it on the head with the jury selection of uh, what's going to happen with this, this murderer. Um, because I haven't made the connection of picking out Real conservative people who are, what are they going to say to themselves? Oh, well, we don't like that kind anyway. Maybe this murderer did society a favor. I mean, I don't know if they would take it that far. But you hit the nail on the head, and I'm just wondering if there will be jury consultants in this case for, for the defense. So that is my question for both of you. Do you prefer uh, uh, jury consultants, or do you not prefer jury consultants. You know, Danny and Alex, go. 
I, I've never used a jury consultant. I try to trust my own judgment and that of my client. But this may be, you know, when people are picking jurors, you know what the real purpose of a picking a jury is? The real purpose of picking a jury is to see if you can try to discern whether or not this person is likely to be on your side right. during the trial and likely to vote in your favor. I don't know if that's a secret that I'm revealing, but that's the real purpose <laughs> of picking a jury. Right? Yes. But this may be the type of – this may be like the one and only case where the defense wants to have very right-wing conservative jurors on the case, people that definitely would, would want to uh, find somebody guilty, people that hate any type of crimes. Why? For the reasons I said before, because these very same people, when it comes to the sentencing, they're – are going to have problems with the fact that this was a transgender. I'm not saying that's right, but that's just a reality, and you have to deal with the realities when you're a defense yeah. lawyer. And mm-hmm. so this is a situation where the defense is going to be operating on a completely different level, you know, and, and doing things in a way that people do not expect them to do. But if you want to gain some advantage in the end and you want to preserve your client's life, that may be the only game in town. Yeah, it, it, yeah, sad, isn't it? Though I think that we have to worry about people's political views when they're on a jury. I, that just, I don't know, Danny. What do you think? Yeah, I. Yeah. Do you use them, I mean, jury consultants? Know, yeah, you know, with jury consultants, what I find is this: most criminal defense attorneys will never use jury consultants. What, when I worked at a large law firm, and I mean, you know, huge uh, major law firms, they would use them. Some would use them, not all. Uh, it's, you know, it, I think Alex would agree with me that when you're picking a jury, you look for a connection. You can use all those data points and a consultant and have them sort of uh, read into it, uh, read into the jurors. Um, but, you know, at, at at the end of the day, jury selection is about making a connection, and it's all really astrology. I mean, so much of it is this this uh, highly discriminatory way of looking at people. And I don't know that that's necessarily that helpful because it puts you in a box and it makes you think narrowly. At the end of the day, if you just look for people that connect with you and they may be sympathetic to your cause, and then, by the way – we're just as wrong, often wrong about that as we are right about it. We often, the juror that you think was on your side sometimes isn't on your side at all. So, and, you know, attorneys all think they're amazing at, um, at uh, uh, discerning what the jury's thinking. And sometimes we're right, but just as often we're wrong. I've had plenty of juries that I thought I had uh, eating out of the palm of my hand, and I found out, unfortunately, that they were not. And um, and it's a it's a it can be a very humbling experience uh, trying to divine what a jury's thinking because we're not always right. Jury consultants, uh, personally, I've never used them in any of my cases, but I've seen them when I was a young associate at a big firm. Uh, I've seen them used, and uh, they you know they can be helpful. And look, when you're when you're litigating multi-billion-dollar cases, I think you uh, a company owes it to itself to to at least explore using a jury consultant. But for your run-of-the-mill criminal defense cases, uh, a lot of the defendants barely have enough money for the fees, let alone hiring uh, high-priced consultants to do what they would probably think their lawyer is supposed to do, which is pick the jury. Hmm. 
Well, I very much appreciate talking to you guys and asking questions and very much appreciate your your opinions. And Jordan, welcome back. I hope you're feeling well. And Danny, I Thank love you, it when you post things about your mom and what she says about oh. your shirts and ties. Thank you. Only because, um, uh, I don't know, many, many years ago um, I, on HLN, you and Joey were on, and you guys were talking just talking about your tie or something, and I thought, oh, my gosh, if I was only in Danny's closet that morning, I would have picked out a different tie for him. But anyway, you're doing much better these days. I just want you to know that. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> All right. You Have guys take care. Take care. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Absolutely. And, uh, Danny, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, let me ask you, like I do with all attorneys that make their debut, uh, uh, that we'll run out of time, but um, can you tell us uh, one of your finest moments in the courtroom doesn't have to be a victory necessarily. It could be a lesser count or, or your, your proudest moment in the courtroom. Oh, wow. And, let me think. Oh, let me think. <laughs> let me think. Um, you know, I had a – I'm going to – I'll think of another one later, but there's one that I always go back to, which was a, uh, a, a simple um, – it was a – oh, I remember. It was a uh, – this one I always get a kick out of, which it was a DUI case. I was um, uh, – the prosecution – I tried really hard to get the prosecution to let my, my guy plead to a, a lesser offense. But as in most states, Pennsylvania being one of them, it's very, very difficult. It's usually against the law to plea bargain DUI cases for whatever reason. And um, right. and so because I couldn't get that lesser charge, we had to try the case. So I, I argued a motion to to uh, uh, to suppress. And uh, the this was the only DUI case I've ever had where two people, uh, two drivers, got a DUI in the same uh, stop. And the uh, the reason was they were pulling out of a uh, strip club drove the wrong way down the highway. They all stopped the car. The buddy gets out and starts driving because he says the, the original driver, who was my client, had too much to drink. So the cops watched all this happen, and they arrested both of them and charged them both with, uh, with DUI. And uh, I was uh, able to get, get it suppressed because at the last minute, as, and I'm sure this has happened to Alex, you sometimes find things at the last minute that you just didn't see before. And just a minute or two before the case goes on, or the uh, motion, uh, the hearing goes on, I noticed that the cops had mixed up where everybody was sitting in the car. And uh, because of that, because, uh, you know, I got locked the officer into where the guy was sitting uh, in the car, that it raised some real doubt about whether or not uh, my guy was ever actually the driver. And uh, and we were able to get that uh, that case thrown out. And that was just a real surprise. But it goes to show that, you know, if you look at a file over and over and over again, you uh, you never know what you might uh, what you might find, even if uh, if it's at the last minute. And uh, it's just something that always stood out to me. It was a couple of years ago, but it was a it was a uh, a pleasant surprise uh, because in criminal defense, a lot of times you you have the surprises are bad. But this was a pleasant one. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here tonight. We hope you come back uh, real soon. Thank you. uh, Same for you, Alex. 
Uh, it was great being here and yeah. great being with uh, Danny. He's a great job on that show. And, uh, oh, not, thank you. Thank you so much. Watch, I'm going to have to stop watching any of the Netflix and just, just watch that show because that's how much I like it. <laughs> Doing a good job. Oh, it's, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Okay. Have a have great, great weekend, great Danny and Alex. All right. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone. Okay, that was uh, Alex Sanchez and the debuting uh, Danny Savellas, as we talked about a lot of great things today, including Bill Cosby. Uh, no, uh, Tom Mesereau was the person in charge of the Michael Jackson case when there were uh, a couple of other accusers, um, 14 um, counts, um, Tom Mesereau got Michael Jackson to be not guilty. He created enough reasonable doubt, and uh, I expect the same here. Um, This one looks uh, much tougher, though, um, but that's a different story. Okay, um, there is a great show on. uh, I don't know the exact channel. It's uh, Marsha Clark. And uh, she's investigating the disappearance of Stacy Peterson. Um, so that's on one of the uh, the networks right now, and I'm sure it'll be repeated. So uh, you might want to look into that. Marsha Clark, it's like a series they're doing. So uh, check that out indeed. Uh, it's supposed to be a good uh, 2020 tomorrow if you, if you guys like that. Give me a shout-out to uh, Madeline, uh, Lisa, Phil, uh, Danny, who who showed up today, Sharon, Mary, um, Lorraine, Sarah, Pager, uh, Vicky, Sue, um, and everybody else who uh, took uh, place here tonight. So today, uh, let's leave you with... uh, it's a TBT, which means it's Throwback Thursday. This is a gem. It is the Rocket Man. Take a listen, and we'll speak to you next time here on King Jordan Radio. Thanks so much, everybody. Here is Rocket Man. She By the wonderful Elton John. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out. On such a timeless flight And I think it's gonna be a long, long time That sound brings me round and gets you fine I'm not the man they think I am at home Yeah.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 